When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Do your part to reduce waste and recycle right. Many of us are ordering more items, such as food and other goods, delivered to our homes. More packages means more waste. Consolidate smaller orders into one larger order to reduce waste. When shopping in person, bring a reusable bag. Recycle right by keeping plastic bags, foam containers, rechargeable batteries, and garden hoses out of your recycling bin. Learn more at GoRecycle.org. Brought to you by Prince William County, District of Columbia, and American Disposal Services. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture. And when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space. Just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Right, it's film study with Ken McCusick, uh, a somewhat emergency episode, a March 12th uh, evening. We're recording this as the Ravens. Uh, we've said goodbye to a lot of players today. Ken McCusick, how you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I'm doing well. Um, you know, I went through this with the Orioles back in July, so I feel like I was prepared now for the Ravens as they start their uh, restructuring and rebuilding. Michael, how are you doing tonight? Hey, Josh. Hey, Ken. I'm doing well. Can't complain. Um, NFL free agency is always an exciting time. I mean, I remember years ago when baseball free agency kind of made the bigger you know, headlines, but it seems like the last couple of years, NFL free agency has been crazy. 
Yeah, you get that league that league year starting on a specific date. And now have that tampering period before, so they make deals. They can back out, as we saw Barr do today in terms of his uh, deal with the Jets. Decided, I don't want to play there after all. I'm going back to the Vikings. March Madness. It's a different version of it just a little bit earlier. Might be one of their better PR moves. NFL is great uh, at, at kind of creating buzz around uh, sort of non-football events. Uh, and this legal tampering thing, uh, you know, everybody kind of pokes fun at it because we all know it's, you know, it's this stuff really probably starts back at the combine and, and maybe even a little before that. But uh, it just creates this buzz because all of these deals are being leaked. And so everybody's talking about it. And so uh, good for them. I mean, they, they know how to stay relevant uh, throughout the calendar. Yeah, the, the league really gets it that way in terms of in terms of knowing how to have a, a you know, a uniform distribution of news and events around the league with the with the draft and the combine and the and this uh, the free agent period and camp and OTAs and just everything. It's a, it is a 12 month league of news. Very well done. But don't you have an issue with the fact that it's under that it, they're calling it tampering? I mean, that they're not supposed to be talking and all the news comes out. Shouldn't the no, this NFL is the legal. This, this is illegal legal tampering? tampering period. Yes. Okay. They, now, they used to have tampering and it was completely illegal. Right. Now they have a five day or, or three day or whatever it is. Well, you're legal allowed, so period. it's not tampering. You're allowed during this time to talk, to make the deals, but can't sign the paperwork. It is, in fact, I believe called the legal tampering period. That's uh, just confusing. <laughs> today, it, it made Twitter a whole lot of fun today. <laughs> fun. That's, a, that's one way to put it. I, I the, the pace on Twitter is just something that is so frenetic every it brings out everybody's like halloween on twitter <laughs> you you see everybody who is upset with every single move who is every player that comes by they're like come on ravens what are you not, what are you not doing why are you just sitting there kind of things do something it's just it's funny to watch for hour after hour and then it just gets annoying and you can't you can't argue with the people what are you going to do but uh, see move after move ha- happen obviously frustrates people. They put they post things on Twitter and uh, there gets to be quite a backlog. No, but you're you're a blogger. You're a podcaster. You were on 105.7 The Fan today. Like this is what you want. You the drama is what brings you out and and everyone wants to hear your opinion. I mean, I guess that's that's a, a positive thing. Hey, we're we're doing a show tonight because we thought there'd be interest in this. So you got a point. Even brings out the American Ninja Warrior hosts. Everybody comes out uh, and wants to break news. <laughs> yeah, now, now if he could just break the news about Le'Veon Bell, we'd all be happy and settled and know where this drama's going. <laughs> he broke it, but uh, apparently it was not valid. <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw that or, or not, uh, but uh, I, always, I always get confused between him and his brother. Uh, not Kabir by Jabil Miller, but... Uh, his brother's name starts with an A, and I always, Ak- I always get this. Bar. There you go. But uh, I remember him more, you know, now because he co-hosts American Ninja Warrior, yep. which my kids love. Uh, but he put the story out there on Twitter today, and you know, he's probably just messing around. But some people uh, ran with it. Uh, Zebrak, uh, ran with it. A couple people ran with it, and kind of had to walk it back uh, because. You know, former football player, you know, uh, maybe there's some credibility there. But, um, no, nah, it was crazy, man. There was all kinds of stuff out there today. 
I, I didn't see Jeff on 40. He's usually pretty smart, but I, I did see other people. I won't, I won't name names. And I won't name names because I've done it myself before. So this was four years, 86 million was announced early in the day, which for me, I was saying, I, I really hope the Ravens didn't make a move like that at 21 and a half million per year for a, for a player like Le'Veon Bell. So we'll see. Yeah. Let's, let's save Le'Veon Bell. Let's talk about what is uh, actually happened today. And Le'Veon Bell uh, you know what, the way today's gone, by the time this podcast is over, maybe there'll be new Le'Veon Bell news. So let's save the Le'Veon Bell speculation and if he could even fit onto this team for later in the show. All right, so I want to talk about what happened today. And let's just, let's go on the negative side. Let's go with, rattle through who the Ravens lost. Right, so, I mean, starting with Terrell Suggs, obviously this happened yesterday, but but one year, approximately $7 million to the Cardinals yesterday. That was bad news, not wholly unexpected. Uh, it's more sad and sentimentally a difficult thing to swallow that Suggs won't be finishing his career with a Raven as uh, a Raven. I was wondering if I needed to call in a wellness check for you yesterday when that news broke. Yeah, you know you know how much I love Suggs and all he's done for this organization. But honestly, in terms of his 2019 play, it's by far not the biggest of these four moves. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Ken. Uh, the sentimentality hit me hard uh, when I saw that news come out because – he just seemed like one of those guys, one of those Ravens for life kind of guys. Um, you knew there was a possibility that maybe that wasn't going to happen, but it just seemed like we were so close to the end and that maybe he would kind of just walk off into the sunset, you know, retire as a Raven. Um, doesn't take away from anything that he's done here, obviously. A tremendous, tremendous career, Hall of Fame career, in my opinion. Um, but you're right. Uh, certainly not, you know, at the same level in terms of play from what we've come to expect for him over the years. I got into a couple of Twitter spats about this because, you know, obviously people are big on numbers and counting stats. But uh, sometimes I point to more of the intangible stuff with him, the stuff that's a little bit harder to see in a stat sheet in terms of, you know, recognizing plays before they happen, mm -hmm. uh, getting in position to stop that, sometimes even putting teammates in position, you know, kind of moving people around like, hey, hey, you know, here's what's coming. Uh, and, and sometimes you can't capture that on a stat sheet. But again, everything has a value, right, the business side of the NFL. And so at some point you have to decide, you know, how much you're willing to pay for, for some of that other intangible value. Yeah, I mean, you, can, you can be an edge rusher and be a very selfish player, uh, and, and the most common trait you'll see in edge rushers who are very selfish is to run themselves out of plays a lot. That's not something Terrell Suggs did. He's really one of the premier edge setters. In fact, really the prototypical edge setter among an edge defender that we've had for the last 20 years. And his ability to, to beat edge guys, whether it's tight ends, tackles, or two at a time by going low sometimes, uh, he was able to turn those guys to the inside. He was able to pinch to the inside extremely well. That's what I'll always remember from, from Terrell Suggs as a run defender. And then also that sorcerous ability to manipulate the opposing quarterback, Roethlisberger in particular, a couple of times into throwing an interception on a screen pass when he just baited him into it, you know, ducking down and jumping up and uh, the ability to, to uh, know when that screen pass was coming and pick off a couple in 2008 going back to that year. So uh, just his his IQ as a football player just off the charts. Uh, I'll remember other things about him as well. The thing that, that uh, really came up today when I was discussing it was that I always knew where Terrell Suggs was on the practice field when I was at camp. 
And, you know, there are three fields there and his voice just booms over it, keeping everybody loose. You know, when he's saying something loud, it's usually something very funny and you know, always being a clown. Some other people's, you know, they, they say something loud or you hear a scrap going on. All of a sudden somebody's in a fight or something else is going on that you don't like the looks of. But uh, there's a confrontation of some sort. But anyway, with, with Suggs, it was always something something good to keep those teammates loose. Right, and I think in a few years we'll look at this very similar to Ed Reed where no one will really remember that he went and played another year or two on other teams. He's always going to be a Raven. Um, The sad part is looking at Suggs and the Steelers rivalry. It seemed like as we've moved away from that hard mouth, smash football, he's the guy who's always been there reminding all the rookies, hey, you hate this team, you hate this team, you hate this team. (laughs) And I think we we lose a good amount of that with losing Suggs. Yeah, you definitely lose some of that. I mean, you and it's just happened over the years, right? As as more and more of those guys have either gone on to other teams or retired, um, just some of the intensity uh, that used to be around that that rivalry just kind of has faded a little bit. Still, great games. I mean, by and large, um, they're they're typically really good yep. good it's games different. to watch. Good, yeah, good competitive games. But you're right, the atmosphere is is just it's just different. The coaches have got to got to pick that up as well. There's still veteran players around who understand. Even players have been here a short time, like Tony Jefferson, who now looks like he'll be a defensive leader. Uh, you know, will know. But other players who have been here a little longer than that, Jimmy Smith, for example, would be a good example. I think can also uh, get that across as well. I don't think the Ravens and Steelers as a rivalry are really going to lose too much over the loss of Suggs particularly. I will say, I looked on the Steelers' website today, and they're very classy about the loss of Suggs. They're like, they're happy he's out of the division because they still kind of felt like he was a somewhat dangerous player even last year. But uh, but they also kind of will miss him as part of the rivalry. So I thought that was kind of nice to see, uh, that they're not just uh, you know sticking pins in him like a, like a voodoo doll like you normally see on other, other websites. Right, so that news was yesterday. Even before that news, we didn't cover the fact that Weddle got cut and then picked up uh, last week. Well, that's right, and and Eric Weddle will be a fairly substantial loss for this team. And when we look now at the cost of that, I think the Ravens might possibly have changed their mind if they knew they were not going to get Mosley. So you know, it's it's a seven seven and a half million or whatever it was for Weddle in terms of cap savings. Uh, it's an amount that I'm not sure they wouldn't want to to reverse if they could at this moment. But uh, Weddle's got a new start and with the Rams, good for him, and uh, good for the Ravens for for getting a young player an opportunity at safety next year. I hope. And he's another one of those guys um, along the lines of Suggs where his impact is more than just what you see on a stat sheet. Um, you know, a big part of what they did last year on defense um, was because of what he could do in terms of disguise and deception, right? You just never knew where he was ultimately going to end up. He'd start out in one place, he'd move around pre-snap, he'd move around post-snap. And just think about the effect that that has even leading up to the game, even before a game. Um, you know, you, you have to prepare for that, right? You've got to think about where is this guy going to be, you know, in, our, in, in, in terms of coverages, in terms of blitzes, and then in the game, you know, now the O-line and the quarterback, you know, in terms of protection and stuff like that, we got to figure out where this guy is. So you're spending time, you're spending mental energy, you know, trying to 
uh, kind of figure out where he's going to be in term instead of completely focusing on maybe what you need to to do in terms of your job or your assignment on that play. So it's just another one of those intangible value kind of deals. But, um, you know, look, best wishes to him. I think he landed in a great spot with the Rams. Uh, I think he's going to love playing for Wade Phillips and. Uh, as long as the Ravens aren't playing against them, uh, I hope he I hope he gets a ring. You know, I, I hope the Rams are back there and he gets a shot at getting a ring. Yep, so uh, certainly possible. And we saw even good quarterbacks are falling prey to what you're discussing. Here. I mean, Matt Ryan, I remember, is one with the Falcons being forced into at least one timeout when Weddle was bouncing around forward and back in front in front of the line of scrimmage. It's not just young quarterbacks that he's that he's burning in this way. It's it's you know, experienced quarterbacks who all of a sudden don't know what's happening and have to have to ask for time. So let's get to today's news. I think it was Mosley and the announcement that he was moving on was the first one that blew up my phone this morning. That was a hell of a morning cup of coffee, wasn't it? Five years, $85 million to the Jets. Uh, I don't think anybody expected a contract nearly this large, certainly not the Ravens. They had certain frictions available, like the franchise tag they could have used that would have kept him in Baltimore another year for less than that. They certainly could have tried to make a deal in advance, and I think working with Pierce and Judon now really looks like a good idea. But they lost their signal caller early in the morning. Jets, I think, by all accounts, way overpaid. Uh, but they got they got C.J. Mosley. They've got a heck of a defensive leader there now for that team. Yeah, you, you hit on it, Ken. The disappointing part for me was that they weren't able to avoid this point, right, where the market was really going to dictate, um, you know, how high CJ's value went. Um, would have loved to see them be able to get something done a year or two ago. But, you know, who knows what happened behind the scenes? Sometimes that stuff doesn't get reported uh, in a world where it seems like almost everything gets reported. That's hard to believe. But sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes there's there's offers made, you know, and, and, and things exchanged and it just doesn't work out. Um, so. You know, he's a guy, another guy who I hate to see go. I'm a big defender of CJ. I get sort of crushed all the time because I say he's not bad in coverage. Uh, People totally disagree with that. But uh, I always put it out there. Show me a play. Show me a play where you say he's bad in coverage. Let's talk about it. Let's look at the coach's film. If we look at it and we both still agree it's bad, fine. I acknowledge it. But if not, then, you know, maybe there's something we can learn from it. So, um I never thought he was as bad as people said he was. Obviously, he's not great. We're not putting him, you know, Ray Lewis's level or anything like that. But he's really, really, really good inside linebacker. But at that price, uh, I, I don't blame the Ravens for, uh, for you know, doing what they did. I'll say he is like Ray Lewis in a lot of ways because I, I think he's a lane changer as a coverage guy, which is exactly what Ray was in terms of understanding where to to intercede between the quarterback and the receiver and by understanding what was going on behind him. The guy, the prototypical guy who has no idea what's going on behind him is uh, Kenny Young. Okay, but but C.J. Mosley really understands what's going on behind him. He was put in a lot of positions coverage wise where he had to do more to make up for the deficiencies, I think, of Owasu and Young playing next to him. Not Levine. Levine's obviously, that's exactly what he provides as well. But but with with the other two guys at weak side linebacker, he really had to do more of that. And not only that, but he when he was put in man responsibilities, as you compare him to the other of a very strong shell of dime defenders, Mosley is clearly the weakest in man coverage. And so he gets fo- more focused on in a very strong passing unit. So that's where a lot of the, I think the the times that he was exposed 
as a coverage guy came up. And I, I really don't think it's fair. I think it's it's actually complete BS that uh, that, that Mosley's poor at coverage. I mean, we saw he delivered the AFC North title for us with with some of the astounding lane changing uh, ability he has. Yeah, and it's rare to see that level of defender get away from the Ravens, right? They've mm-hmm. they've had guys get away, you know, primarily pass rushers who um, sort of take that leap in a contract year and, and price themselves, um, you know, out of what the Ravens are comfortable paying. But CJ just feels like one of those core, core defensive guys who don't typically get away. But the market really just exploded. Uh, I, I I was thinking, I don't know, 14, 15, you know, million a year and even that might have seemed a little high, but I thought, well, they might be willing to 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 play in that play in that ballpark. But once it got to seventeen, I just I it, I, it surprised me. Mm. Me too, and I I think it must have surprised the Ravens. Kind of like you 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 have in mind a price you should pay for something, and you your friend has it, and you want it, and and you know you you you're trying to haggle over it for years, and you're kind of chasing the price all the way up, kind of thing, where you're chasing the price in a market if you're trying to get a collectible of some sort. Anyway, to, to see this is just it's it's sad that it couldn't be resolved earlier. I understand why these things happen. It's not like the Ravens have have up until this point had a lot of surplus cap or even been able to look forward to their cap with the kind of uh, freedom that they appear to have right now, but I, I'm actually glad the fiscal constraint really actually makes me pretty happy that the Ravens were able to exercise it even on the Mosley deal uh, because it was just a price that's too high. And that seemed to be the storyline all day as these uh, moves were being made across the league was the price tags of everyone has gone up. Has the salary cap adjusted this year or how did all these big contracts like all of a sudden come about? I know they're not great teams and they're teams that have been having money. But was there a raise in the total cap? Yes, there's, there's a raise in the total cap, and I don't have the number in okay. front of me. That's really a question for Brian. But uh, but it's it's up uh, significantly this year. I don't remember what percentage. Uh, so that is part of it. There's, there's a lot of teams, obviously, with unused cap from previous years, which I think all teams need to do a better job of accounting for in terms of understanding what the what the economies are, are going to be like in a given year. I mean, I remember, I remember watching uh, – uh, Orange is the new black. Black, and there were uh, some women were going to make a dollar an hour, where everybody else at the prison were making ten cents an hour, and that was going to change the entire prison economy. That's kind of what, what this. You can't you can't use prison economy to talk about the NFL. <laughs> uh, some of the owners have already been down this path. Yeah, we can't go that way. Um, Robert Kraft I, 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 but I something about that economy. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but I get what you're saying. That that. But the agents are smart. The agents, of course, always tell their guy, hey, you're going to be the highest paid at your position, and, and they convince the team to get him to him. Um, uh, let's move on to Zadarius Smith, who got four years, $66 million from the Packers today. Huge contract for Zadarius. Obviously, extremely productive pass rusher. I loved his inside-outside versatility, but again, that contract is just out of this world in terms of, of what I would have expected Zadarius to get. Uh, good for the Ravens, good for Zadarius Smith, good for the Ravens because they'll get a third-round compensatory pick for it. Um, and really going to mean the Ravens are going to probably have to pay for their their pass rusher. Now, if you remember this time last year, wide receivers were the big number on the board. All the wide receiver contracts went early, and they were huge. Right. Uh, it could be that some of this moderates as we go forward, including at, edge, at the edge position, but uh, we'll have to see. Yeah, another another. We just mentioned it a minute minute ago. One of those pass rushers that the Ravens groom 
Um, maybe he's quiet for the first couple of years of his career, and then that contract year sort of breaks out and then prices himself out. Um, I actually really like some of the stuff that the Packers did today. I liked Zadarius. Uh, I liked them getting Preston Smith, uh, Preston Brown, excuse me. Um, I liked uh, Adrian Amos. Uh, I actually think they did some nice things today. But yeah, Zadarius was versatile guy, you know, could kick inside. Uh, I, I, in the games that I watch, you rarely saw a guard. Uh, who could block him one-on-one. I mean, he always seemed to find a way to beat those guys with quickness or with using his hands or with power or whatever. Uh, and they got better at better against the run, you know, as time went on. Not not probably, you know, any anything that we're going to write home about, but got better against the run over time. But now it's time for some of these other guys that people have been looking towards uh, to step up. Your Tim Williams, your Ty Spousers, you know, these are the kind of guys that people are going to be looking towards. Obviously, there's free agency to go and, and the draft to go. And, and, you know, we've seen even, you know, they pick up people in the off season before the season starts. So the roster is certainly uh, going to change. It's not going to look the way that it looks right now, but those guys are kind of in the, in the spotlight right now, at least as the, as, as things stand to kind of move into those roles, particularly with Zadarius and Suggs going. Yeah. I mean, it's a great point at all three levels, the Ravens who were tremendously deep on defense last year. I mean, that was one of the things from, from camp on, just how remarkably deep this unit was defensively. But a lot of those guys are going to be getting significant snaps, and that's the kind of opportunity that presented itself in 2002. So the Ravens, of course, lost six huge players from their 2000 defense. They lost Adams, Siragusa, uh, let me make sure I can get all these, Burnett, uh, Sharper, Woodson, and Starks, those five, those six. And it created all sorts of opportunity for the other young players that included Reed and uh, Baxter and Kibo Yatu and uh, uh, lots of others that came in immediately in 2002. Adilis Thomas was there already, but he got a lot more playing time. This year, there's, there's six guys on the Ravens who I think are going to get tremendous opportunity out of this. Anthony Averett at corner, you can start with. I think Deshaun Elliott and uh, Chuck Clark each get opportunity. You mentioned Williams and Bowser. I mean, people have been crying over their lack of snaps the last couple of years, but this is a good opportunity for both of those guys to get more time. And then the last is Zach Sealer, who, you know, by all accounts, the Ravens really like, you know, he was supposedly the strongest guy on the team last year, got very limited time, but the fact that they kept him on the active roster rather than IRing him from the start of the year, it really tells you they saw something there that's a little special in a rookie. So those six guys getting opportunities in this next year, I think, is going to is going to be very exciting. Yeah, and you got a log jam of guys uh, at inside linebacker. You mentioned mm-hmm. Kenny Young, Peanuts, obviously there, uh, Alvin Jones, C.J. Board, uh, Bam Bradley, Matthew Thomas. I mean, there's all of these guys sort of waiting in the wings, and then you know they'll probably add you know some some additional uh, uh, pieces there too. So that'll be a really interesting position to see kind of unfold as things go along. Well, let's let's hang out there for a second in terms of how they're going to address the inside linebacker position, because I do want to do want to talk about that. I, I'm of the opinion I really do not want the Ravens to break up their ultra productive weak side linebacker platoon. So they've got three guys playing there. None of them play, has played as much as 42 percent of the snaps last year and probably should play less. Combined, Awasu at 41.7 percent, I believe. Young, who was just under 40 percent, and Levine is about 33 percent, played 105 percent of the total snaps for the team. And it uh, if if they play a lot more, I believe it will be in ways that they are not best at and they will degrade that platoon. And that certainly includes having having a lot of the mic responsibilities 
in those players. So I really would favor them trying to decide if one of the guys on the roster, and maybe it's Bam Bradley, maybe it's maybe it's somebody else, or maybe it's somebody completely off the roster. Maybe it's you know they bring in a, a Zach Brown or one of the other really good inside for a cheap alternative, or 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 somebody else for a uh, uh, a one or two year stopgap until they're ready to draft their next great linebacker here. But you know the way this defense is situated, and the way I think that that the, they're going to be reliant on youth, I really think it does not make sense for this team to acquire an expensive long-term deal with a guy who's 28, 29 or older. It's another one of the impacts of losing CJ. I mean, you were able to have that platoon opposite him because he played damn near hundred percent of the snaps. Uh, so you didn't, you didn't have to have other guys, uh, you know, play 60% of the snaps or more, uh, you know, because you had that sort of rock solid guy right next to them who could eat those snaps. So now, like you said, it'll be interesting to see how they approach that. Yeah, it's a, it's a, uh, it leads them to that other problem with the defensive signal caller. They've, they've lost Weddle, and they've lost C.J. Mosley, and there's really only four positions where you draw your defensive signal caller from. Now, it's one of the two inside linebacker spots because they can play every down, or one of the two safety spots. And the only guy that's left on the team right now who is under contract and plays every snap is Tony Jefferson. And so I think by default, he's the signal caller. He's done it at Arizona in 2016. At least that's per Twitter today. I don't know how many games he did it for. He started 14 games. So I think that's kind of the cap. But I think he will be given the uh, green dot unless they sign somebody else who's an inside linebacker, an obvious three down player they really want to give it to He's got to be the leader in the clubhouse, uh, just for all the reasons that you just mentioned. Um, would obviously be a little more challenging for an outsider to come in and pick up the defense and and be able to handle that responsibility in year one. Not that it couldn't be done, and, and it would probably have to be split if they decided to do that in some sort of way. But, yeah, Tony makes the most sense right now. Yeah. I think Daryl Smith, they might have given it to him when he came in. So, you know, you could get that kind of a that kind of an opportunity. But you you you'd, you'd be one or Weddle probably could have done it. You would, you'd want to have a cerebral player coming in that you really trusted to take it over. All right. Uh, well, that covers the defensive side. On the offensive side, we already did a whole episode about the fact that we're losing Flacco, but today we also learned that we'll be losing John Brown. Uh, three years, twenty-seven million to the Bills. Yeah, uh, uh, kind of a bummer. Obviously, Brown's production fell way off in the second half of the season. He had 10 catches uh, on 33 targets in the eight games, including the playoffs, that uh, Jackson started. And that was for only 128 total yards. That's half a season of production, 128 yards is not what the Ravens wanted, uh, obviously. But John Brown had to be to my way of thinking, one of two things or, or, or both of two things to the Ravens to, for them to really want him back. And number one is he really needed to be the field stretching deep threat. I think he might have still been that. But the other thing I really did not see enough from him was to be the go to guy on the extension of plays for, uh, you know, a quarterback who scrambles around like Jackson does. And that really ended up being Andrews and some of the tight ends and and not uh, not really any of the receivers. But if it was a receiver, it was really Crabtree more than anybody else who he was hitting in those situations. So a, a little bit disappointing that, that Brown wasn't and his speed didn't give him some escapability to extend plays. But I did not honestly see that from the second half of this year. Yeah, he was one guy that I was really excited about, especially uh, in the first half of the year. You know, saw some connection there with 
uh, with Flacco. Saw some big plays. And, you know, I'm higher on him than most people are, maybe too high. Um, I've certainly been accused of that before with other guys. I fall for guys. I I openly acknowledge that. Uh, But (laughs) I thought he was more than just a speedster. Uh, I thought he had the ability to do some some different things, Uh, basically could run any route in the route tree. Uh, But the quarterback is key. And I don't know that with the way that they changed the offense that the time to develop that kind of chemistry with Lamar just wasn't there. Um, You know, he didn't have that whole offseason. I think that's why you saw some of that natural chemistry with people like Andrews and and even Hayden Hurst a little bit once he started to get going a little later on with Lamar, because these were the guys that he was working with. Right. When he was in practice primarily. And so, you know, that chemistry started to develop. And then. Like you mentioned, you saw some stuff there with uh, Crabtree and some good stuff with Willie Sneed because I think that kind of played Lamar's strengths. You know, he was most accurate in the middle of the field. And, you know, Sneed was working that area of the field, and so you saw some connection there. So I think, you know, Brown maybe gets a little bit of a bad rap because of how drastically the production fell off in the second half. And, you know, he's got to own some of that. But I also think, you know, some of those factors, you know, contributed uh, to sort of the way that things went. Uh, but good for him. You know, now he'll get to play with another guy who likes to run around up there in Buffalo with Josh Allen. And maybe, maybe the only other guy who runs around as much as Lamar. And at, and at some points last season ran more than Lamar. Uh, so, so that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, it, it should really be a, a decent opportunity for Brown, I would think. And, and Brown is the Bills' second choice, of course, as we know, because the other Brown turned him down. <laughs> yes, he did. But business is still booming <laughs> for him out in Oakland. I'm glad it's booming outside the division. Uh, but we might touch on this later. There's some other trouble uh, coming into the division at the wide receiver position. Uh, sure. So now with all of these trades, we get these comp picks. It doesn't help us this year, but it helps us next in next year's draft. Uh, two third rounds, a fourth and a sixth is what it looks like. But it, of course, depends on how these guys play, right? Yeah, I think some of it depends on on playing time and there's and the contract size. Uh, you know, we, we should have Brian on to really explain it. I think that I've heard either a fifth or a sixth for Suggs, uh, so it could be it could be as good as two thirds, a fourth, and a fifth. And of course, that's contingent upon the Ravens not making offsetting moves themselves. So when you think about it, when you when you're trying to get Le'Veon Bell and you already have to pay a ton of money to try and get Le'Veon Bell. You also then have to have to take the additional punch in the gut and lose a third round draft pick to to get him. So it's a it's a more difficult and more complex decision. The Ravens front office refers to this stuff as special sauce, or at least they used to under Ozzy. And they really got to got to think about, you know, do we take this extra step and sign somebody? Now, the good news is the most net players you can gain, the most net draft picks you can you can gain is four. So if they lost Brett Urban, say, they're going to have some room to start the signing process a little early. And then the post-June 1 free agents, of course, don't count against that uh, total at all. Yeah, and I, I really like this approach. Uh, obviously, they've done it for a number of years. We might see more uh, earned this year than we've seen in the past, depending on what they they do throughout the rest of free agency. But um, it sort of aligns with what we've seen early on. You know, if uh, DaCosta's approach is to get the cap house in order, so to speak, and, you know, then maybe focus on building through the draft and, you know, supplementing with some free agents here and there, uh, you know, sort of value guys. Uh, it makes sense to try to amass, you know, more picks in whatever way that you can. I I, I couldn't help but think back uh, today to Sashi Brown, 
in Cleveland, right? Dorsey's getting all the credit, uh, deservedly so. He's he's picked players and brought players in, but to be in the position to sign these guys in terms of money and to have the picks to make the picks of guys like Baker and some of the other guys they brought in, that was all Sashi Brown putting that into position. You know, he laid that foundation, and uh, now they're reaping the rewards. Now, obviously, the the Ravens aren't in the same situation uh, that the Browns were in a couple of years ago, so they're not approaching it the same way. But just sort of the over, you know, overarching philosophy of, you know, let's get our cap house in order, let's amass picks and try to build through the draft. I like it. Uh, I'm a big fan of that. Yeah, well, of course, the Browns for many years were able to amass first round picks and then choke on them. But the but the Browns of recent years have done a better job of that and are, are more scary. I, what I like about DaCosta is that his small school infrastructure infrastructure always dominated the Ravens scouting. And he was able to make more out of later round picks because that's where the Ravens really had more intel than their opponents. The, the, the opponents are trying to pick guys they like to fill a particular need in round four, five, six, seven. And, and the Ravens have much more depth of their scouting, able to pick out a, a more likely star. BPA is not exactly the right word, but but they're they're because they might not have been the best player at any position available, but they were able to pick up real value in later rounds because that small school scouting was so extensive. And I think we may see them pick up even more draft picks in addition to these comp picks uh, as we get closer and approach the draft, and maybe in the and maybe even in the draft. Um, I, I really I know I don't want to put the cart too far in front of the horse, but I'd be pretty surprised if they actually stayed and pick. Uh, at 22 in the first round at this point. I definitely see DaCosta getting out there, getting back and trying to get at least a second or a third round pick because it seems by all accounts that the meat of this draft is in the second, third, and fourth round. So I, I think they're going to try to hit that as hard as they can. But we'll see. Plenty of time to talk about that. That's a, that's a, that's a levelized valuation of picks then. And so it would really pay to move down in that kind of, a, in that kind of environment, obviously. I think there's some things to be done before the draft because they still have one player anyway, who I think may be traded in the next five days, and that's Jimmy Smith, uh, before his bonus has to be paid. So he's 31 years old. I'm looking at this defense, and I just can't see how he figures in to any kind of multi-year plan for the Ravens. I could see how a, a team who's planning to absolutely win this year, and the Ravens, no doubt, are trying to be competitive this year at some point, but I, I think they also have to be realistic. They also have to look at their depth of cornerback talent they have and they have to say we got to get some of these guys a chance to play before they're in the, this position that they price themselves out with a good fourth year so anthony averett will be just entering his second year but he's a guy we need to know if he can play or not maurice kennedy i'd like to see something from him in year four uh you know there's they have a, that's and that's just their fourth and fifth cornerbacks as you go down the the line there if they got rid of jimmy so I think it would make sense, and I think one of the biggest things the Ravens could gain in the next couple of days would be if there were a number of big cornerback contracts that really blew through the, the, the cap limits that there had been so far and really reestablished what the cornerback value is. And then Jimmy Smith's $9.5 million salary is going to start looking pretty cheap to some other contenders. Yeah, and that's something that, you know, obviously there's been a ton of reported deals out there, and I'm sure I'm missing some of these, but I, I don't recall seeing any really big cornerback contracts so far. I think Roby got a deal to go to the Texans from the Broncos. I don't remember what his number was, but it wasn't anything that, like, stood out in terms of, like, oh, my God, I can't believe he got that much. So uh, you're right. It, it it should be interesting to see that unfold, to see that cornerback market unfold over the next couple of days. And uh, 
see what happens with Jimmy. Um, you know, I think there's a little bit of a split among fans on Jimmy um, when Jimmy's healthy and is on the field and, and right. Uh, one of the better cornerbacks in the league, I think. But those three things have all been, you know, fairly reoccurring ifs uh, throughout his career. So uh, that that kind of, you know, tips the scales the other way. Right. I want to jump in here while we're talking about Jimmy with a early mailbag question. This question's from Nick, who says, if the Ravens don't trade Jimmy, would you rather them keep him this year and use him and take the comp pick next year or cut him and save the money this year? Well, they have to consider it in terms of what's important to the team. So if they if they cut him, they have the nine and a half million and then they have to offset that with the bottom guy on the 51, which really makes the value closer to nine million. So they they have that as a consideration uh, or they they get, would probably they will try and trade him, I'm sure. And and the real question is, will they get a fourth, a fifth or a sixth round pick? I think I think that's generally the range that that he might go in. Somebody some I mean, if the market went crazy, I, I, I don't think that's necessarily the limit, but that's pretty much the range I would say. Anquan Bolden is the most similar cut in Ravens history. I, I, a definitely productive player at the time who made a you know a not dissimilar amount of money relative to the total cap at six million in 2013. The Ravens cut him; they didn't have room. They and and as uh, salvage value, they got a sixth round pick from the 49ers. And it's not hard to see that that would be a similar result for Jimmy Smith uh, here. I mean, the Ravens obviously. They want to save the cap, and they, they it's it's fungible capital, meaning they can push that forward into next year and use it. Um, you know, it's money in the piggy bank either way if they take this. So it would be nice if they were able to to get rid of the salary and and try and give some snaps to Averett here. Uh, I love Jimmy Smith. He's been a hell of a player when he's been really good. Uh, he, he certainly played a big role in terms of the 2018 Ravens defense. But, uh, you know, again, at 31, I just don't see how he fits into the plan for a defense like this. Yeah, it almost seems like, you know, they have to make a decision, right? Um, and, and not a decision whether he, he he stays or not, but how they're going to move him. Can they trade him or is it going to have to be a release? Because just for all the points that you mentioned, I mean, obviously Marlon has shown and, and, and proven that he's a starter, Um they exercise cars option, so he's back. Uh, and that was never... really the break point right there. Once you decide that, you've, you've already got one old corner. You're probably yeah. not going to have a second. Yeah, he's never missed the start. Uh, doesn't mean it couldn't happen this year. You know, obviously, he's not getting any younger, but you know, if history is any indicator, he's been super reliable. And they extend Tavon Young to play in the slot. So you know, you've got those three guys in addition to the young guys that you mentioned. It really is hard to see where Jimmy fits in at this point. Uh, really good player, like you say, a very talented player when he's right. But you know, at this point, in terms of age and, and value, it's just it's really hard to to see the fit. All right, um, let's get into what we kind of teased earlier today with the Le'Veon Bell situation, where there's lots of talk of him interested in coming to the Ravens, and I don't think any of us can figure out if the Ravens are even interested in him. Uh, But fans are excited because this would be the move to really spice up that Steeler-Ravens rivalry. Um, Lots of missed reports. Do you think this is something that's in the works? Do you think Bell would fit into this situation with Lamar? I mean, for for multiple reasons, I don't think Bell is really a good choice for the Ravens. But I think the Ravens fans, more than anything, want to see it stuck to the Steelers in terms of having Bell here 
because he's an ex-dealer. So it's kind of you not only do you add to yourself, but you subtract from your enemy. And then all of a sudden you've got a great element of the rivalry, as you mentioned, the, the spicing that up. It's just the cost of this is going to be enormous. The Jets apparently, after they lost Chris Barr, when Chris Barr decided they, that he didn't want to, to, to play in New York after all, had a bunch of additional money. They apparently sweetened their offer substantially. At least that's the way Rappaport is reporting it. And to me, that's the point where you get off this bus in terms of any in, any need to make this deal. If, they, if there's going to be another team with tons of cap outbidding everyone, well, you got to let them do it. And the Ravens, in addition, have the added cost of it's going to cost them a third round draft pick to sign Bell because they're going to lose one of their comp picks. So for a lot of reasons, I don't like the deal. Uh, I, I think there are also just some just some changes in terms of running style that don't make it don't make sense entirely. Uh, that a patient running style behind this line may not be completely ideal. Uh, you know, a faster straight ahead style might be better. But but I think if if I had to point to one, it's just it's just cost. Uh, you know, you can point to age, rust, whatever you want to point to. Otherwise, in terms of risks with Bell, but uh, but it's just cost. I'll play devil's advocate here because I tend to agree with you, actually, in terms of costs, uh, in terms of contract, even though I think I saw something reported pretty late uh, that maybe that number in terms of annual average is down. Yeah, like 11 or 12. So maybe it's not in that kind of crazy range that you might think. But who knows? Who knows? But and then, you know, cost in in terms of uh, compensatory pick. But uh, consider this. If you get a guy like Bell. And he is the guy who he was. That's another big if. You know, yes. he's been out for a year. So is he the guy that he was? Assuming he is, it's really kind of a two-for-one situation when you look at his past production. You're getting a top running back and essentially a number two wide receiver. Uh, you know, I went back and actually looked at some of the numbers and I looked at, you know, his last couple of seasons and the numbers of receptions he had. I think his lowest number was like 75 when he played like a 12-game season. Then I said, well, let's go back and look at Ravens receivers. Of, of any, you know, position, receiver, running back, tight end, that's had at least 75 uh, receptions in the last, uh, you know, going back to when John Harbaugh took over the team. And uh, you've got, what, Steve Smith at 79 in 2014, Kamar Aiken at, uh, I think he had 75 in 2015, Pitta at 86 in 2016, Rice hit, you know, kind of mid-70s a couple times in 2009 and 2011, and I think Mason had 73 or 80 in 2008. So you're talking about a guy that, you know, uh, probably going to be a thousand yard rusher. I mean, that's, that's what he's been in his career. Obviously the offenses are different and the surrounding cast is different. So, you know, it's not apples to apples, but again, we're just kind of doing some projecting. If he's another minimum 70 catch guy, uh, that's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, production, uh, in terms of yards from scrimmage and, uh, his patient running style, I, I guess I, I sort of see that. I, I, I agree with you. I don't know if that's the perfect scheme fit uh, for what they do, but uh, he's just so scheme diverse in my opinion. I mean, I think this guy can run in any scheme. Um, I think he's good enough that you probably tweak some of what you do to accentuate what he does. Um, but that's just the devil's advocate side. I actually really kind of agree with you in terms of calls, but in terms of on field, I, I can see some benefits in terms of the on field. But you're the the I completely agree with you, by the way, on the reason why you do it. OK, it's it's his value as a receiver. He's averaged over five catches per game in his NFL career. And that covers 62 games now with 312 catches, uh, about 42 yards a game. 
is what he's averaged for his career. So, you know, certainly good production to add to, to uh, you know, rushing production that I don't know if a thousand is really is really exactly the right number. It's very hard to say exactly what it'll be. Another problem I have is I don't completely trust Le'Veon Bell. I mean, he didn't play out this contract under kind of the rules of the NFL, if you want to call it that. Uh, I, I don't completely trust him not to demand a new contract a year early this next time around. So does a four-year deal really mean you have a three-year deal and you've advanced him all this money and you don't get the last year of the contract? You don't really have that option value if he is productive. So I, I just I don't completely trust him in that standpoint. There is obviously big injury risk. That's the other thing I don't like. What I love about the way the Ravens have managed the running back position since Ray Rice is that they've done it with a lot of guys and still gotten pretty decent production out of guys like Forsett and then Collins and then Edwards successively because they're largely interchangeable parts that they can mix and match some styles to choose, but they can get interchangeable players to, to be in there. So you don't have, you know, 10% of your cap tied up in a in a single great running back, and it probably wouldn't be quite 10% anyway, but a, but a substantial portion, such that an injury is a very debilitating to your roster and your season. So I, I personally like saving at the running back position. I don't like paying, and I, I don't like paying guys, uh, you know, who are on their second contract, even though Bell is still relatively young and will only be 26 this next season. And you probably I'm sorry, 27, don't. 27 this next season. And, and to your point, you probably don't really have the necessity that maybe some teams feel like they have in terms of having to go out and pay for a proven established running back because you've got one of the best run game designers in the league as your offensive coordinator. I mean, he's done it everywhere he's gone with a number of different backs. So that probably, you know, sort of tips the scale the other way too, is that maybe you don't necessarily need, you know, that top pedigree guy because um, you've got a coach who can scheme a running game with a variety of different guys who have different skill sets. Yeah, that's a very good point. I mean, and those guys are available as UDFAs as running backs. I mean, they're not, they're not, people are not rushing to draft those guys. And they can be the stylistic guys. You can find guys with speed who you are UDFAs. You can find the one cut slashers. You can find the straight ahead guys as well, like we did with Gus Edwards last year. So it's not like Roman won't have his ability to work with the cost and find who these guys are and, and, and bring them in Baltimore. And honestly, probably make it a pretty attractive opportunity for those guys that they're yeah, definitely. You definitely create some demand because guys see opportunity and say, hey, there's really no established guy in that backfield. I got a chance to come in there and carve out my own niche. You know, I think you saw it last year with the, yeah. the UDFA guys that they brought in. So I actually thought that's kind of an interesting model. You know, I don't know how sustainable it is, but I'm like, well, maybe you bring in a handful of UDFA running backs every year. Let them compete it out and see how it, see how it turns out. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to like to have them find one guy who's a legitimate pass catcher in the group is what I'd like to have. So I, so I, I know that's hard to find, and those guys probably are scouted fairly well. And at the college rank, there's there's less, you know, there's less in total of it. But to, to be able to find a, a you know one guy at least for your ninety man roster that you can test out as as the guy who's going to be your bell cow third down back would be really nice. And that's that's been what the Ravens have been missing in the running back position the last few years. Well, how does how does Mark Ingram fit into that? A guy who's maybe a more realistic guy whose name's being tossed around today with the Ravens. Now, I did not hear if anything has actually happened with Ingram as yet. Josh, are you on? Uh, I've been, on Twitter I've been at monitoring all? it. All I've found so far is uh, Le'Veon Bell has is releasing an album at midnight. So, Ken, I need <laughs> you to use all your film study stuff to break down his album track by track <laughs> and look for hints. Nice. Um, 
But the latest news is just that the Ravens have been discussing with Ingram on a potential deal. And he right. has yet to sign with anyone yet. So that's yeah. still out there. We've been hearing close all day with regard yes. to Ingram. And, and we're not sure if that was a negotiating tactic for them to try and get leverage with Bell. I, I, other things have been said about Bell that Bell really wanted to play in Baltimore. He didn't really want to play for the Jets. And the Jets have the best money offer on the table. Clearly, the Ravens donor, he would have taken that already. And, you know, are is are the Ravens trying to use the Ingram situation to 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 get Bell to accept a lower deal or the, are, is Bell trying to use the Ravens uh, to try and get more money out of the Jets? Who knows? We'll uh, we'll see this play out, I guess. But uh, uh, very interesting situation with Le'Veon Bell in terms of of the, the, the suitors that are still involved. And at least on the field uh, in terms of Ingram, um, I don't know if there are huge, huge differences in his game between what you see from Gus and Ken Dixon. I think there's a little bit of a straight ahead style. He might have a little bit more lateral uh, ability to his game than Gus. Um, maybe somewhere right near Kenneth Dixon, um, you know, downhill guys run through contact guys. He might be a more consistent pass protector than both of those guys right now. Um, I actually thought Todd Montgomery was their best pass protector last yeah. year. Like immediately, as soon as they signed him to the roster, he immediately became their best pass protector. But if we're just talking about Ingram and Gus and uh, and Kenneth Dixon, I think Ingram might be uh, maybe the most consistent pass protector. Because look, you're not you're not going to be on the field with Drew Brees if you can't pass protect. I mean, even right. before Kamara came along, uh, that that's just not going to happen. So I think he's probably the most consistent guy there. And then by all reports from his teammates and even some of the Saints beat guys great locker room guy like one of these you know locker room leaders culture setting kind of guy tone setting kind of guy um so you know chalk that up for you know whatever it's worth in in, in terms of value but um yeah it'd be interesting it'd be interesting he'd, he'd definitely be um sort of that committee approach kind of guy i don't think you'd be adding him because you're saying that he's a style that's so different than anything that we already have but it, it'd be more of a um, adding to your committee adding to your stable kind of approach Right. I, I agree. And, and that means cost is everything if they're going to go for a guy like that. But the three years prior to 18, so 15 through 17, Ingram had over 150 total catches. So that's one of the things that interested me about him in terms of his, his value as a receiver. He's never been a really big yards per touch guy, seven yards per receiving career. The Saints obviously have a big screen game and are effective at that. So that's got to play into that. But uh, but yeah, I think you you could find that. I agree with you completely about Montgomery, which is one of the puzzling things about why they wouldn't have made any attempt to kind of talk to him. Maybe they did, and the, and the money is, just doesn't work. But despite the fact that he's a combination you know, wide receiver slash running back, Montgomery, before he came to the Ravens, had quite a pedigree as a pass blocker, and it was by far the best of, of, of certainly any of the Ravens running backs last year. But I'm, I'm very surprised that, that they made no apparent attempt to get him back. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, for him. I'd love to see him come back because you do have that versatility uh, in the backfield as a third down guy, as a pass protector. And didn't see it much last year, but he does have a pedigree as a returner. I mean, he's done that. He did it in college. He did it a little bit in Green Bay, I think, before he completely converted to to running back. So, I mean, there's there's at least an opportunity to, you know, add him to that competition. There's the perpetual 
uh, kick return, punt return competition that they seem to have annually. You could add him into that mix again uh, and see what happens. But we'll see what the market uh, uh, sort of looks like for him and, and and what he wants to do, you know, if he's looking for, for a different opportunity. Uh, so I guess we'll see. But I, I'd, I'd like to see him back. Do you think any of this Ingram talk is also to kind of to put a veteran back there with Lamar? We keep talking about this team getting younger and younger, which means we don't have that veteran leadership really on either side of the ball. Ingram's an older guy at 29, so that's quite old for a running back. Actually, he was 29 last year, so he'll be 30 for his for his age. Uh, actually, turns it on December on December 21st of this year. So I'm. Yeah, that's old for a running back. I would not normally want the Ravens to sign anybody that old unless they had a very specialized role like Danny Woodhead did a couple of years ago. But uh, but otherwise, I'd say that's okay. uh, that's an unusual age to want to sign a running back. And that might be how they see him. Uh, obviously, they're different players. You know, Danny had probably a little bit more of a, of a receiver um, pedigree than, than Ingram has, even though, as you mentioned, Ingram, you know, it's called some balls now. I mean, that's, that's nothing to sneeze at, but maybe they do see that specialized role for a guy like that. And then again, if they do, then like you mentioned, it comes back to calls, you know, what are you willing to pay for that role? So, um, that I could see, you know, that would make sense to me if they had that role for him and they really thought that he could be that guy and fill that role. As long as the cost was, was, you know, reasonable, then, then I, 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 I could see that. All right. Uh, tomorrow is when we find out, like the uh, Flacco deal becomes official tomorrow. So we'll find out what it all entails, right? Yeah, I believe that's true. Now, obviously, it could not be completed before the start of the league year. I don't know that it's that they've agreed to make the trade on the first day of the league year, but we should find out what the compensation is within certainly the next few days of uh, uh, for Flacco's situation. It wouldn't surprise me, by the way, if they agreed to do this deal on either the fifth or the sixth day of the league year when roster bonuses have to be decided upon. Okay, That would, that would seem to make some sense in, in terms of a, a time to do it. But, uh, but yeah, we should find out so shortly what the, what the Flacco comp is. All right, and then we've learned today, really, that the, that the defense is getting younger. That's, they're rebuilding the defense. Which makes a lot of sense as football is shifting, and now we've got this offense. Do we really know what the plan is yet for the offense besides it's Lamar's team? Uh, yeah, that's a real good question because they, they didn't address the offensive line, and a couple guys who were linked with the Ravens, Mitch Morse and uh, uh, I've forgotten his name now, the center, Matt Paradise, uh, already went already. So they've they've lost a couple of pretty good opportunities for for a center if they wanted to do that. There are the are other guys out there at guard, of course, but uh, you know it's the center market is kind of an unusual one because you're when you're on the clock and you can pick a center, it's not a BPA position because there's not two of them. So if you if you're doubling up at center, that doesn't always make sense. And so you, you might get a center to drop further in the draft than than you're hoping. Than, than you might otherwise think they would. On the other hand, you, you you need to jump up and get one if a good one is available. So it's kind of a tricky draft position, uh, not not dissimilar to quarterback, but obviously at a much lower lower cost level. Yeah, and I I think that they're gonna they're gonna address uh, the interior of the offensive line, whether that's with you know a, a sort of a more pure center or a guy who's kind of a center guard. Um, whether that's in the draft, whether that's with you know a vet here in free agency, I think that they're gonna do it. Um, but I, I do want to add this and I'm going to, I'm going to put this disclaimer out there first. I wanted to put that disclaimer that I think they're going to address it in other ways verse. Uh, this is one of those, you know, say it and then duck and run out of the room. But 
maybe just maybe uh, they like Matt Skura more than people think. Right. I know that's not a real popular opinion. Uh, I know people feel like maybe he was a little bit of a stopgap bridge guy and they're going to upgrade. That may all still be true. But maybe just maybe they like him a little bit better. And some of the other guys, whether that's Bradley Bozeman on the roster, a little bit better than than we realize. So uh, just going to throw that out there. It's going to leave that out there. But in terms of the question, um, yeah, I, I, I think besides it being Lamar's team, besides them still wanting to build a bully and run, uh, you know, probably more than you're going to see across the league. Uh, I think they also want to take some more uh, shots downfield in the passing game. I think if you go back and you look at Greg Roman's history as an OC, at least in the passing game, he's not a dink and dunk kind of guy. Uh, I mean, certainly he'll throw some things underneath, but he likes to take shots down the field. Uh, so I think you'll see some of that. And what interests me most is this whole notion of redesigning the offense from the ground up, right? Communication, uh, structure, roles, assignments, everything being redesigned from the ground up. That really kind of interests me. Maybe some of that is coach speak. Uh, but when you listen to the coaches talk about it, they all seem to be really excited about the opportunity to really create something uh, and to really do it in a way that solves problems, right? Instead of just adopting a traditional West Coast offense and, you know, we're going to use this terminology because that's what you use in the West Coast. No, let, if, if there's something that we can use that's shorter, that explains the same thing, let's do that. So, that part's really cool to me that they're looking to like solve some of these problems uh, and be efficient. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how that ties in with what they say they want to do uh, from a philosophical standpoint. But I think you have a pretty good idea. Uh, you know, I think if you look back at last year, you won't obviously Lamar, hopefully, <laughs> God willing, is not going to carry the ball 147 times. Uh, but I think, you know, you, you've got a, a fairly decent blueprint of what they want to be on offense. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. And you, you said a lot of things there, and I want to respond to some of it. But one of the reasons I like the Nick Boyle signing a lot more than other people at $6 million, first of all, it doesn't look that bad, definitely, in terms of cost at this point. But he is just absolutely central to their blocking schemes. And one of the things we saw unfold last year was that the Ravens continually added layers each week to their scheme to continually surprise their opponents. So even though they're, they're, they're a run-first offense, you know, they're doing all these things, you know, going back into the 1940s with football almost in terms of, the, of, of their run-pass uh, uh, frequencies, um, they're doing so by, by adding scheme every single week for, for this quarterback, but also in terms of, of how they're going to block up around the quarterback. So it, it very became polarized that Lamar became their edge threat, and they had all sorts of different other ways to get the ball into playmakers' hands, either between the tackles or just off tackle, in, in ways that were exciting and new on a week-by-week -week basis. So, And by the way, I'm with you on Skura as well. I, I, I like him more, I know, than other people. I see everybody is just extraordinarily polar with regard to certain players. And Matt Skura is one of them. Uh, I, I don't honestly see a lot of players, a lot of people out there who love Matt Skura, but I think Matt's tremendously undervalued in terms of his ability to hold the back end of a double team. So the Ravens do a lot of double teaming in the middle, and oftentimes it's it's one guard and Skura with Skura holding the back end of that block and not moving on. And his ability to do that has been very important to the Ravens, both with the run game and the pass game. So I, I think he often is undervalued, but I'm, I'm with you on that. I think PFF consistently undervalues him relative to, to how I would grade him. All right. Uh, let's get to a few mailbag questions. We've covered a lot today already, but um... – 
clearly, as you said at the start, this type of stuff excites everyone on Twitter. We want to be able to take care of our listeners and get through some questions. And Diane gets in. Again, you use the hashtag on Twitter, hashtag film study mailbag, and that makes it easy for us to find your questions. Diane wants to know if you guys have someone in mind to replace Mosley, either a free agent or a draft. Is there someone out there that seems like a guy this is the man to bring in? Well, I got one name to, to mention that I think would be cheap. I already mentioned him before. Zach Brown, who was with the Redskins last year. Uh, he's a guy who uh, you know has played uh, regularly now for a number of years. He missed a couple games due to injury in 2014 where he missed most of the season. But otherwise, he's been pretty healthy and uh, played 74 uh, starts in his career. Uh, I think he's a player that, that they could have fairly cheap given what happened in Washington last year. Uh, obviously something, there was something the coaches did not like about how he was playing that got him benched. And I don't know the details of it, but, but his overall play wasn't that bad. So he's a guy I'd be interested in seeing if the Ravens could pick up cheap. Yeah. Unfortunately I had a couple of guys, uh, going into today and I think both of them have reached, uh, tentative deals with teams. Can I guess? Uh, talk, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Take, take guess. Jordan Hicks. I'm sure you was on your list. Jordan Hicks was one. And then the other one, uh, was, I was, I was thinking about that Daryl Smith sort of one, two year sort of vet mentor groom. Some of these younger guys was Thomas Davis, uh, yeah. from, from the Panthers who was probably a little bit more of an outside type backer in their four, three scheme. But, uh, I think he moved around a little bit because, I mean, he'd been there a long time. And I think they they changed schemes a couple of times during his his tenure there. And I think he played inside at times a little bit, too. So he seemed like another guy who, you know, could be a a, a vet sort of one year deal mentor, younger guys like Kenny Young. And I mean, Peanut, I guess not that young, but still, you know, young enough where maybe having another mentor in there for a year could help. But both of those guys apparently are off the market now. So uh, I look at the draft. Um, I don't know that any of these guys, oh, as a matter of fact, I'm, I'd be surprised if either of these guys would be available, even if the Ravens stayed and pick at 22 in the first round. But Devin White from LSU or Devin Bush, the, the, mm-hmm. the two Devins uh, from Michigan, uh, would be guys that would come to mind uh, just in terms of inside linebackers. Not saying that, you know, that's the position they should address in the draft or that would be the right pick at 22. But just, you know, if we're talking about linebacker options early, those guys are some names. And then, uh, you know, I'm kind of a draft nerd. I don't know how far people want to go with this stuff, but you can get in the later round guys like Blake Cashman from Minnesota, who I think is a guy who caught some buzz after the combine because he tested really well, uh, moves around pretty good. I think there was kind of this notion that the inside linebacker crop after the two Devons wasn't great. Like there was a really big fall Mm -hmm. off. And I think there is a bit of a fall off, but I think it's a little bit better now uh, if people have gone back and looked at some guys who tested pretty well and moved pretty well uh, at the combine today, you know, this, this film actually doesn't look as bad as we thought. Uh, so there could be some options there. And, you know, we already talked about some of the guys they already have on the roster. So um, it's going to be a fun ride. It's going to be a fun ride to see what they do at the position. Right. My, my only fear is that they, they overuse the current guys in particular, spreading out those will guys. I think they have other options on the roster at the mic. They have other options in the league at the mic and I think you're you're right there will be opportunities in rounds three through seven in terms of uh what DaCosta knows about the small schools and some of the depth of the Ravens scouting to pick up some some linebackers who weren't necessarily at the top of everybody's draft board uh you know either of the Devons are a fairly obvious choice uh by most draft draft prognosticators but it's some of the guys you you, you mentioned uh uh that make more sense I think for the Ravens I don't think they can afford to use 
their number one pick on a linebacker this year. I mean, if if they did, they'd really have to believe he was the guy. But but I think they'll probably use it elsewhere, whether it's a, a, a dominant lineman, uh, Cody Ford, a possibility, uh, whether it's a whether it's a wide receiver, maybe among the, the, the group of slightly flawed players that are there. But but still, you know, certainly some first round pedigree talent, talent there as well. And I should mention Brandon Marshall from the Broncos. He was another guy. Uh, that I that I was thinking at, uh, thinking about earlier today, uh, just because I remember him in in the game where they played the Broncos earlier this year, and I was like, man, this guy is actually pretty good against the run. It's not somebody who I'd really paid a lot of attention to, but uh, you know, there's there's another potential option. All right, Brandon got- Marshall now is I'm sorry, one okay. second here. Go Brandon ahead. Marshall is now 29, 29. years old, yeah. so still still a guy who, if you're signing him to a two year contract, I'm probably okay with. I don't really like the idea of signing him to a long-term deal, but there will be interest, I'm afraid, at that level. All right, you guys did a great job answering Jalen's uh, question that we never got to yet about a surefire <laughs> linebacker and draft on linebacker early in the draft. But he's also wondering about Gus, and how does Gus Edwards fit into this offense next year? Is it, is it a one-two punch with another guy, or how do you see them using him? I, I think they'll have at least three guys. Uh, so I think it'll be at least a three-headed monster, and, and they'll probably be prepared, as you know, we talked a little bit earlier in the show about potential undrafted free agents, that the Ravens may have a stable of a couple guys on their UDFAs or maybe even uh, you know two guys plus another guy they like who's on the street that they can go to and, and, uh, and bring on at need. So I, I, I just I really like not spending at the running back position and trying to get production there with scheme and style more than going out and paying the big dollars to a bell or an Ingram to get proven quote unquote ability at the position. And I'll keep my answer short. I agree with all of that unless they sign Le'Veon Bell. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, All right. Let's see. Meg wants to know, is it really that bad if the Ravens don't sign a big name during free agency? Okay, you know, I love that question from Miggy today. I promised him we'd get it on the show, but he uh, he makes a he makes a great point, and it needs to be said that the Ravens honestly are highly incented not to have any net free agency signings the rest of the way. Which means if they lose one more, they can they can sign one, but it's they're really incented not to to maintain their full draft stock for 2020, and you know, just being cognizant of that is is very helpful i mean you start off only seven draft picks and the ravens are are poised to get four additional picks in the 2020 draft have 11 picks that'll solve a lot of holes uh if if that's the way it ends up they have i think eight picks going into this draft right they lost their two they lost their seven but they gained a six and they gained a compensatory third I, i i've lost track now but i think they i believe they have eight picks coming into this draft and, uh, you know, to, to start with 11 next year, is just a very different position. Yeah, I, I think that good organizations now, obviously, there's some exceptions. Sometimes you see, you know, some of the better teams um, maybe make a splash deal here and there in, free, in the early part of free agency. But I think by and large, the good organizations tend to kind of wait it out. Um, I remember somebody tweeted out something today. I think it was a picture of Belichick like laying on his boat. Right. Like and, and I think the tweet said he literally goes on vacation during the early part of uh, a free agency. And then I think it was Robert Klimko uh, from SI said, no, no, I, I have this from a story. He literally goes on vacation. Like they'll make an offer to guys who they're interested in. There's early days and it's a take it or leave it offer. There's no negotiation. 
here it is. If you want it, you come here. Great. You fall in line. You get with the program. If you don't, hey, good luck to you. And he literally does it from his boat or the beach. That's it. Because there is no, you know, haggling back and forth or, you know, oh, we can offer you this or we can offer you that. It's not how they operate over there. Right. And they said that most of those players usually leave those meetings a little afraid. So they're like, man, I don't know. You know, you hear all these things about the Patriots and guys, you know, sometimes wash out of there. But they also leave feeling like this might be the one coach who really could get the most out of me, you know, if I go there. So I, I think that that, you know, obviously the Patriots have kind of been the pinnacle of, of you know, I hate to say it, but the pinnacle of, of success over the last decade. And uh, if that's their approach to making big splashes in free agency or, or that's a lack of making big splashes in free agency, it's probably a pretty good thing to model. Right. I mean, I think the Ravens have done it, too. I think it's a it is a good thing to model so anyway. All right. Um, Jess gets in. You mentioned Tony Jefferson earlier. What about Peanut or Young for wearing the green dot? I I think that Peanut is not. It, it will not happen. Um, he has played a little in, inside linebacker. Uh, he played the mic when Mosley was out in 2018, but he's not an ideal size fit for that position. Young is. It was more drafted to be the successor to Mosley if he was lost. I think from his first year, we saw a great downhill player. Uh, who has real limitations in terms of understanding what's going on behind him in the passing game. So I, I don't know that he'll break out this year in terms of more playing time, but he is he would be the dark horse candidate of of the weak side linebackers to wear the dot if if he would then move to Mike, uh, you know, play every down and, and all of a sudden get the green dot. It's not impossible. No, I'd agree with that. And then that cuts against, you know, kind of what we – would like to see uh, in terms of keeping that rotation at the wheel linebacker, because then if he gets it, that means he's on the field every day. So that's right. Uh, not necessarily a bad thing if, you know, he can step into that role and, and, and show that, you know, he can kind of hold it down. But uh, I do like the kind of benefit of the rotation myself. So uh, let's, let's, let's see what happens. I, my vote's still with Tony right now. Yeah. But yeah. We'll you know what? Things go. <laughs> this is one of those things that, that it, Tony just seems to make more sense for a lot of reasons. And sometimes I also kind of hope that circumstances conspire for the coaches to do the right thing. I don't think Wink Martindale is as likely to fall prey to the, we have to have two, uh, you know, utility knives basically at the safety positions. They both got to be able to play back and front and all this. I think if he was defensive signal caller, there'd be even more impetus to use Jefferson at what he does best, which is you know man coverage of the tight end and some of the run support things that he does as the second fill guy, you know, to allow Kenny Young to crash a gap recklessly, which I love, and then to be able to fill behind him and and be able to get that or to fill the edge or do whatever he does. But that also puts him in a better position to call that next play if he's not 25 yards downfield trying to make sure he's on top of a nine route. So I I just, I I really like the idea of Jefferson being the signal caller also for perhaps some of the scheme limitation it will have of him. Gotcha. Uh, Let's close the mailbag out with Alex's question who says um, the prevailing wisdom with building a wide receiver course to target players with diverse skills to build your set should they do the same thing with the running back position and do a, uh, a speed and stretch guys that complement each other? Yeah, I think we kind of been over this. I, I, you know, I love the idea of, of bringing in this UDFA stable. And the nice thing about it is you can mix and match those items. The one thing the Ravens have been missing in, in the, in the past, 
I think they've had the various styles of running back that you mentioned there in terms of uh, being able to run wide, being able to run off tackle, being able to run straight ahead, but it's the pass catcher. That's the one they've really been uh, been short on since Ray Rice left. All right. Thank you for everyone that sent in your questions on the film study mailbag. Continue to do that even when we're not doing episodes. It allows the conversation to continue on Twitter uh, throughout the offseason. Guys, what else do you guys have that you're working on? Michael, do you have some stuff you're working on? Or uh, Ken, how about you? You've got some stuff out for Russell Street? Let's start with Michael first. Uh, I was actually in the middle of a product, and then C.J. Mosley signed with the Jets. So <laughs> I think I'm going to put the uh, put the brakes on that project and then maybe shift gears to uh, – somebody asked me today about – uh, Kenny Young and, you know, Peanut and maybe taking a little deeper look at them and and sort of how they handled uh, the role when CJ wasn't there. You know, you think about the Bengals game and the Broncos game. So maybe I'll dive into that a little bit, see if I I've gotten pretty lazy. I got to admit, I love Twitter because, you know, I can do it just in those few characters and don't have to write a whole article. But uh, <laughs> maybe I'll see if I can turn it into a whole article. Oh, but now, uh, now's and, a great time to write because the question is, what now? That's true. That's true. It's definitely ripe. Uh, it's definitely ripe to write about it, and I probably just need to stop being lazy and uh, and actually turn it into an article. Yeah, but I'm with you that the, the the best articles are the ones when the Ravens acquire a player, and then you really want to dive into it and find out what are their strengths and weaknesses because hey, we got something to look forward to. But uh, yeah, I, I'm uh, at the same point as you are. So we'll we'll have draft pieces coming up. We'll have more of these as we have acquisitions. I hope we have an opportunity to do at least one of those at some point. And uh, yeah, the Le'Veon really Bell at, show. <laughs> we will have a Le'Veon Bell show, I guarantee you, if Le'Veon Bell is signed yes. by the Ravens. Yeah. yeah. How about an Earl Thomas show? I'm for that show too. <laughs> yeah, older guy, but but uh, wouldn't be the 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 worst alternative in the world. But I, I don't think the Ravens are going to go for an older guy on defense. We'll see. All right. Um, and then for me, uh, people should check out Section 336 because now is when Section 336 gets busy with baseball season uh, only a few weeks away till opening day. So we can check all that out. Uh, guys, how can everyone follow you on Twitter? Michael, what's your Twitter handle? I know you always got to spell it for people. So here you go. Yeah, I got to get the phonetic thing going there. It's uh, at Abukari. So that's A-B-U-K-A-R-I. All right, and I'm at, at Film Study Ravens, and you follow follow both of ourselves on Russell Street Report. Uh, Michael's a re- re- regular contributor there as well, and uh, we both contribute to knee jerk reactions as well. So there's been a lot of that these last couple of days. All right, that sounds good, guys. Well, uh, let's see if anything else blows up with the, in the next couple of days of free agency, and uh, who knows when we'll talk again. But we'll do another show if something does happen. Have a good night. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's List of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only.